Hi and welcome to the MMU Photography Podcast, a weekly informal conversation with the guests that have been kind enough to join us during our Wednesday morning Village Green Lecture Series. The lectures this term are centred around the theme of photographic communities. We will be welcoming a range of photographers, artists, organisers and academics to talk about the importance of working collectively in their research and practice. This week, Sarah Howe and I are in conversation with artist and photographer Emma Backland. We discuss collaborating with people who have passed away, wearing gestures, travelling gestures, practising and rehearsal. Hi, uh, my name is Emma Becklund. Um, I'm an artist working in between photography and performance. Originally from Sweden, but studied in London and uh, graduated from Royal College of Art 2017. I'm now living in Berlin and working um, in different, um, different disciplines, but mostly with photography and performance and collaboration with other artists and creators and uh, working with the organization Arts and Allies in Berlin and together with creator Trina Stevenson for Chapters. You mentioned you're working with um, uh, Abby Swarberg and uh, um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the idea of collaborating with people that you haven't met or people that are dead. And Celine Condorelli kind of talks about her friends. And we had um, artist Jenny Baines come and do one of these and she was she uh, called them her dead husbands that she worked with. And so I was kind of wondering if you could talk a bit about collaborating with people you haven't met or who are no longer with us. Uh, that's a really interesting thought, actually. I never really thought about it that way. Like someone that is not, I, I like that as well, because in one way it expands throughout um, throughout different lives and different times. But yeah, when it comes to working with his work, I guess also when you study someone so close, you, you feel like you get to know them a little bit, because getting to know their work is also getting to know their thought process. And that is, of course, um, a big part of, like this work, for example, is a very big part of Amy Warburg's um, life and work and study. And it took years to put together. But this work is, yeah. And would, would you like me to talk about the work that he did? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I was really interested in the way that he started to categorize images in our culture and and it like also went uh, across times, but the way that he categorized was not in a linear way, and that is why it was also so kind of groundbreaking what he did at the time, because it was not so um, conventional to to look at history in that way, but also images and uh, different categorizations. And I was very really lucky to be able to see the show that he have exhibited in the House Kultur der Welt, so World House of Culture in Berlin before the second lockdown. And it, it took a long time to see that show, but it was mo most of the boards. So he created these boards, blackboards, where he pinned different images on top. And it was very much astrological research, but it went from, I don't know, 14 
13th century up until kind of 1920s or so. And uh, the, the, the last board was, of course, very different from the first one because the last board even had like advertisements and images there or the gesture of someone playing ball and then repeated in another way. And of course, my my specific interest in his work was the gestural categorizations. And it has also made me think a lot about how we mimic each other. And now, of course, we have smartphones and we can see everything live and and direct and everything is just instant, instant, instant. Um, so we can see how a different culture is posturing or how a different person is posturing themselves or how different culture is like different dance or different movement or different ways of expressing or like we can look at that immediately but I also think even if we couldn't we're still mimicking beings and I see it a little bit like an ant's pile like the pile of an ant that okay they're working over there and they're working over there but they don't work so differently after all because we're all the same species in a way and we have the same needs and of course there are differences and the differences are good too and we shouldn't neglect those but what I'm interested in uh, is this kind of way of how gestures travel even though we don't see each other and now when we do how does that affect our gestures and something I thought a lot about lately is the idea of afterlife I mean, I'm going off topic of A.B. Warburg now, but just to talk about gestures, the idea of afterlife uh, in terms of digital afterlife. Because in the 60s, it was very much about freezing our body to then be reawaken our physical body. But now it's more like, how can we upload our brain into the digital realm and then live as an avatar, you know? And then uh, I will actually work together with someone who um, runs this technological, I'm not really sure what you call it, but you know, when you uh, store different bodily movements, um, I will work together with him storing my own gestures for my afterlife. Amazing. So, so yeah, it's a little bit like how, yeah, Go back to A.B. Warburg, what, what I was interested in his work is the traveling of gestures, how he looks at these repeat, repeated kind of uh, forms and repeated actions and repeated movements and behavior patterns throughout culture, politics, and history, but also how it's been categorized. And, and, you know, there was just tons of images within his research that he gathered. So to be able to categorize that, he had to have a system. And when I saw this show in uh, Berlin, I also walked on the back of the boards and I saw what the note that he put on the back and one of them was uh, dance. So it was like one categorization, categorization word was dance. But then if you go to the Warburg Institute uh, online, the Warburg Institute is based in London, but they have an online uh, photographic library that you can download really large files um, to use, I mean, for, for your own purpose if you want. And it's really interesting if you go there because you can go and check like the different categorization names. And that's what I was really interested in when I was doing the work for Second 24, because I started to realize some very interesting titles such as nymph clasping ankle. And then when you press that, like, <laughs> 
loads of images come comes up of like sculptures or paintings or drawings of a nymph clasping their ankle or finger to forehead understanding and then there's just like loads of these kind of thinkers you know the thinker sculptures or like these kind of gestures but the way that language is used in categorizing categorizing these is something i find super interesting so yeah yeah amazing it's fascinating i'm i'm really interested in what you say about kind of the the travel the traveling gesture or the afterlife of a gesture and and how also that kind of resonates with just um sort of practice in general and kind of ideas and and actually at this moment i think uh, I've I found um, and I know I was, I was chatting to Tom Tom Lovelace about this as well. It was just like um, kind of your influence and like who who influences you and sort of like the ideas that we kind of are all having and how there's like these interlinking sort of ideas that you kind of think oh I'm I'm making this work and I, I'm sort of like doing this thing and then you suddenly like oh someone else is doing something really similar and they're thinking about and and there's this this there's I kind of think we've been conditioned in a way that we're actually a bad thing because it's this like competition almost or this like but actually it's a really positive thing because as you reflected like this is where you kind of can form these collaborative connections and actually it's through this shared interest that you can kind of make and expand new things instead of just kind of keeping something to yourself which I think is really I don't know I was just reflecting on on what you'd said in, in terms of that as well. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think sometimes how we've been taught, as you said, we so inherently taught that, oh, we should be compet competitive because we're also living in a, you know, the kind of, I don't know, individualism era and like my work's my work. And, you know, in education systems, I think it's really important to also emphasize on the fact that um, similar thinking processes are actually a really, really positive thing, as you say. and it can really benefit you because even if we have similar thinking processes or interested in the same same things, we all have different backgrounds and different ways we approach them maybe. And maybe if you have a conversation with someone who has similar interests, then you realize, oh, you can think about it this way too. So it's more, more the, to enriching that process rather than, um, rather than restricting it, I think. And, and yes, I, I also agree like this competitive thinking is a problem because it also relates to commercial and consumerism and uh, art as a commodification in a way that ownership and authorship. And I think that is something that I feel like it's a, such a release to, to go beyond or to try to go beyond it, of course, and to try to think more collaboratively and I mean, a collaboration doesn't always have to be that you're actually making work together. It can even just be like having conversations, especially now to some twenties. It's so important to keep these conversations active and, and yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. I just wanted to kind of like agree with absolutely everything you said, a hundred percent. And it's amazing, isn't it, how the the kind of spectre of the artist in its in the garret working away on their own is kind of hanging mm -hmm. over the art world even now uh, and even like said through, through education um it's amazing it's still there and that's that's how we're kind of perceived um yeah. anyway uh but i did have a question that, uh, as well as just going yeah exactly um 
<laughs> these like repeated gestures and sort of um like performing gestures almost and we, we had kind of quite a similar conversation last week with JJ Chan who came to talk to us about this kind of reenactment and um as somebody who, who dances and it's the same for me when I when I learn and teach music there's a point where that where the performance and the reenactment becomes actually doing it so there's a difference between practicing it and doing it and and I'm really interested in where that happens and what that space is and I wonder if you've come across a similar thing in, in either your own practice or uh, sort of working with other people yes definitely I mean you're really touching on a subject that is really like I'm really really interested in uh when it comes to I don't know neuro neurologically uh psychologically and everything this kind of space in between uh, rehearsal and outcome, if you like, and rehearsal, and of course, like the exhibition with Novelist Rehearsing the Real, that was also kind of exploring these ways of what is our show and what's the preparative process of our show. And um, when you're, like, as you say, in music, it's very, I mean, the body is so present in music too, right? And, and it's how, like I, I love studying people who play violin or any other instrument because the bodies, I mean, it's it's like a choreography as well, right? And when the muscles are like muscle memories kicking in and it's going from being alert movement to, to an automatic one, then something happens. And I think everyone can feel intuitively when that happened. And it's such a nice feeling when you're like, oh, it just does it by itself now, you know? Mm. It's very fascinating and I think it's it's a lot of aspects there like this kind of work that I explored with nurses uh, carrying patients or lifting like lifters lifting patients and having to prepare for that prepare for the real life and my mom even did that because she was a nurse for a while and they had to go through this kind of lifting and, and imagining a weight that is not there yet but to, to go through these habitual structures of movement to be prepared for real life when the patient actually will be there. And yeah, it's something that I'm, I'm gonna do next year actually uh, in relation to this. There's a military base camp close to Munich, which is American base, military base camp, where they role play and uh, prepare for real life war. Mm. And you can go there. Like uh, and do kind of like work a little bit like an extra. Like you can go there and play like you've been shot or something, and you actually get paid for it. And me and Joanna, who I started to collaborate a lot with, we are planning to go there to to spend two weeks there and make 800 euros, and then we're gonna make a project out of it because you you basically have to act in these different roles for these people who. Like this, you have to train to be prepared for war. And that's something that very much relates to, I think, also the topic, but in a different way, but still. Yeah, it's a really nice comparison, isn't it? And it is amazing how much training you need to do, especially in order to prepare to kill somebody. I mean, that, that's essential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you need to unlearn everything your body is telling you. And I guess it's the same learning, learning to dance, or less gruesome, obviously, but there's just a repetition that you need to do to unprogram yourself. Yeah, exactly. And and I think like particularly in this moment, this idea of preparation and kind of feeling that there was perhaps a lack of preparation that went into kind of the pandemic as well. And because I'm thinking like my my relatives work in 
the healthcare system and sort of there was um they do days where it was like major incident day and everyone had to act as if there was like a major incident had happened in Sheffield and um what they would do like coordinate with emergency services like and everything like that and I think like those kind of quite specific acute acute instances are well rehearsed but perhaps this current situation which is like has this magnitude that we might not be able to really comprehend it has not been rehearsed in the same way and I think I don't know I think that's really interesting how um how we're able to kind of you know prepare ourselves for things that are imaginable almost but not the unimaginable <laughs> yeah you're right definitely and also how different countries reacted differently like I'm thinking about Sweden like of course because I'm from there and how it stood out from the other countries in this first uh, lockdown pandemic mm-hmm. and uh, how you choose like not prepare as well or, and I, I thought a lot about it because of course like Germany and the history of Germany like they were so prepared and they just like acted upon really I don't know immediately and and it says a lot about the country's history and that the fact that Sweden has been quite neutral and not participating in war. That we have this kind of idea that, oh, it happens elsewhere in, in Europe, but that's uh, not happening here because it's a neutral country. But of course, not, no country is neutral when it comes to the virus. <laughs> yeah. What you said about preparing, I thought a lot about it lately, how this year has been like, oh, it's postponed or it's cancelled. And and then we're all like, or as artists, maybe we can't have a show. So we're just preparing for when we can have a show. Like right now I'm preparing for a workshop that's going to happen once we can do it. Like this preparative element of 2020. <laughs> and in relation to this, I thought a lot about the miniature. You know, when you make a mock-up for a show mm-hmm. and how miniature then can become the thing itself. Well... Uh, because I talked to someone who made a miniature because his show was cancelled and yeah I mean postponed and then it looked because now when we explore art in a virtual realm scaled it doesn't really matter as much mm-hmm. as something look real in a way yeah, yeah super interesting and, and yeah how do you prepare for the un, um, the unknown and and uh, uh, and again for me that sort of makes me think a lot about um, learning to improvise and you'd kind of like almost learn to think about strategies almost for how you deal with things coming your way. Um, but of course, it's not a neutral process, is it? And what you, almost what you imagine is going to happen, it sort of sets the parameters itself. And, and I wonder if you find that in your sort of work, maybe particularly with um, with the performances with, with other people. Like, do, do you? Obviously, there's a certain planning and a structure in terms of like even like like a, the kind of prop of the the um, the two-person shirt um, sort of sets a parameter. Do you th- do you set any other kind of structures, or do you pre-think about how that's going to work at all? Uh, yeah, you're right when it comes to improvisation that it's important to create these structure, uh, these uh, starting points or initiators maybe. So you have a form such as the twins weather that is one initiator a little bit. Or you have these cues that you give. And when I took this uh, course at Siobhan Davis, um, the choreographer who held it, he, he was kind of give, giving these really small cues that follow the lines of the space. And the main studio there is very architecturally interesting in terms of the lines. And then if you start thinking from inside the body or outside the body, like follow the lines of your own body or 
can be very small and simple things. I think it's a lot about the collision between simplicity and complexity that, of course, always uh, when it comes to creating something, that fine balance is uh, the magic where it happens. But I think uh, when holding, for example, now I'm preparing a workshop for kids that will happen, yeah, as I said, when, when we can. <laughs> and um, these kids are from a refugee center next to the residency I'm, I'm part of. And then um, I'm thinking a lot about what gathers in the body, of course, but it, it's going to be um, it's going to be about releasing and identity and kind of existing together as a group. And then I have prepared, yeah, just small cues such as it can be the first one I'm planning to do, uh, write your name with one body part that is not like in hand. You know, so it, it, I took it from the Pina Bausch because I saw that she did this once with her dancers. Like, write your name with your elbow or your tongue. You know, suddenly something happened. Mm -hmm. I think it's so much about going out of the normal structure or what you're used to. And I think that's for me, like, improvisation is so much about, like, in questioning, can new movements be created that body haven't done before? Or everything is, of course, found in another history or something else. But I think it's really about uh, exploring what hasn't been explored or trying to explore that which the body haven't done yet. Oh, it sounds like you've got loads on that's, that's really exciting. Yeah, when, when things can, you know, it's like prepare I really think the second part of the, this year, I really felt like, no, I'm going to use you know, I'm going to use these uh, restrictions and try to make activity when it's harder, but it, it's, I don't know, it's more of a challenge, but it's definitely possible. And I think it's interesting how galleries and artists are working around it and creating, for example, outside shows or, or different possibilities of exhibiting. And I think there's always possibilities. It's more about trying to think beyond what you used to do yeah it is isn't it? it's like we're all learning to write our name with our elbow isn't it that's exactly <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i think that's a nice place to end ben <laughs> thanks so much Emma. i really appreciate it also it's nice just to chat to you and hear about what's going on yeah it's super nice thank you for for having me and wanting to talk Thanks again to Emma for joining us and being so generous with her time, and thanks again to Sarah for her questions. The music this week was by third year student Ben Moore, and if you'd like more information, please get in touch with him. If you would like to donate some music to the podcast, please send me an email. Thanks again for listening.